The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Hey, Barry. Hi. How you doing? Very good. Thanks for meeting with me today. So I wanted to know, in the field of auto mechanics, what does a realignment even mean? A realignment is needed when a vehicle has hit a curb or gone off the road, which it's not intended to do, and the wheels get out of alignment with each other, which means that the vehicle will not go down the road straight. And so the benefits, what are the benefits of having a realignment? Because obviously they come from the factory without needing that, but obviously something goes wrong. What are the benefits after a realignment takes place? Um, the vehicle will be the easiest to drive. Uh, it'll have the least amount of wear on the parts. Uh, the vehicle will last the longest with the least amount of repairs mm. because nothing is being fought against. Right. Um, if a vehicle is always being fought against because something isn't going down the road straight, uh, things wear out, the vehicle shakes, yeah. the customer or the driver doesn't like the way the vehicle feels. Not just the tires wear out, but other parts. Other parts, yes. Oh, okay, yeah. that's new to me. Right on, thanks for meeting with us yes, today. Thank it's you. cool to hear about that stuff. Yeah. We're heading now to uh, Trevor Clark's uh, chiropractic clinic in St. Boniface. Hey Trevor. Hey, how are you? I'm so glad you could see me today. Yes, yeah, good yeah. to see you again. It's good to talk together about this whole subject of realignment and that in your field of chiropractic. So let's take right some time. Right on my alley. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> I thought I was here for an interview, but I guess I'm getting a little bit more. But while I'm here, Trevor, tell me, what does a realignment mean? To realign the spine, it's done by hand. That's what the adjustment is. And what we want to do is we gently want to adjust the spine back into alignment, into better alignment. So, of course, realigning the spine is assuming that it was out of alignment in right. the first place. Exactly. Good. And, and when is that needed? Like what occurs that causes that? Yeah, so in one word, stress. It can be physical stress, like an auto accident, uh, a slip and fall here on the ice in Manitoba, yeah. athletic injuries, or even postural stress, sitting at work mm -hmm. all day. Yeah. Or it can be mental emotional stress because that can affect our posture, right? Mm -hmm. So over time, these things can build up and fester. Yeah. That's good. And. Benefits, like what functions better when an adjustment or realignment is... So that's really the purpose of a chiropractic adjustment, is restoring alignment like anything in this world, like the wheels on your car, mm. things function better. Mm. So the purpose of the chiropractic adjustment and aligning the spine is to allow your nervous system to function better at a higher level mm. so that the brain is communicating properly with all the organs and muscles mm. of your body. Yeah. Tell me, you mentioned earlier about the the head and that illustration from the scriptures as well. It's it's not that the body, the head doesn't adjust to the spine. Like in your practice, the spine is always adjusting to what? What is the head? Yeah, so your your head, which contains your brain, that's your central nervous system. That's your body's central computer, central processor. Yeah. And it controls and coordinates every cell, organ, and muscle in your body. If it's communicating properly, your body tends to function well and you're very resistant to different symptoms and, and conditions. 
However, if there's a breakdown in that communication, you know, if you become misaligned through these stresses that we talk about, mm. then of course, if that goes on chronically for an extended period of time, that's generally when symptoms and or conditions will show up because your body's not functioning properly. Right on. I mean, Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and when we are out of alignment with what he has for us, the communication breaks down, right. uh, and the body doesn't function correctly, I guess. Exactly. Amen. So same principle. Amen. That's which great. is why that's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Amen. That's yeah. great. That's good, Trevor. Thanks yeah. so much. Thank you. Right on. Pleasure having you. Good to be so realignment, by definition, is the action of changing or restoring something to a different or former position or state. And uh, realignment is a theme that we see a lot in Scripture, too. I think of the book of Deuteronomy, which means second law. Just before the Israelites entered the Promised Land, there was a realignment of God's law for them. There was a time when King Josiah in 2 Kings 22 was king, and they found the book of the law, and they realigned with the things that God's law was teaching. Or in the time of Ezra, when they discovered the book of the law after the exile, and there again, they realigned with what God had asked them to be. And then, of course, in the New Testament, in a, in a few weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Galatians. And Paul writes to them, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Christ and turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Paul writes the book of Galatians so that those churches in that province would have a realignment of their first vision of the true gospel. And uh, even the whole Bible, the word canon, which is describing the scriptures, is the measuring rule, the, the, the measuring stick of scripture. So there's a realignment that comes in our lives when we read the scriptures. So I'm excited about this coming series of sermons, and we're going to start today with the big text where Jesus says that the most important, greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind. Let's take a look at that scripture. Amen. Well, <laughs> realignment. The body works better when everything's aligned, and marriages work better when things are aligned, and the church works better when things are aligned as well with the head. And this morning, as we open the scriptures to that first passage that I referred to, I'd like us to begin with prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you for realignment on this first Sunday of worship in this place. We declare your headship and your supremacy. Lord, we need your grace. You are the great physician. We ask for your healing where we are out of alignment, that you would speak to us through your word and give us direction. For we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, O God. Come to you for teaching and reproof, correction and training. We pray that we'll be equipped for everything you've planned for us. We also come to you in confession, Lord. We, we acknowledge that we have not loved you as we ought. That with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, we have not loved you. We've loved other things, both good and bad, that have crept into our lives and caused our hearts to shrink instead of grow in love for You. And Lord, Lord, we need reminding today to realign with what is supreme, Lord, You. Give us what we lack today. Help us to be who You want us to be, but we are not yet. Help us to meet the Son, Your Son, 
in the sacred Scripture today so that we might love You more. We pray through Christ. Amen. If you have a copy of the Bible, would you turn to Mark chapter 12 right now? And uh, we're just going to take a look at a few verses in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. 28, Mark 12, and as is our custom, if you're able to stand, would you stand now and listen to God's Word being read? I'm reading from the ESV. And one of the scribes came up to Jesus and heard him, them disputing with one another. And seeing what he had answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And what Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. May God bless his word. You may be seated. <clears throat> so why is this a good text to begin to address on this realignment series of sermons this, week, this month? And why is this a good text to begin with? Well, I have three reasons. Number one, the first reason why it's a good text to begin with is because Jesus Himself said, this is the most important commandment. So I thought, well, it's not a bad idea to go with what's most important in Jesus' mind. A second reason why we begin with this text is because though it is possible to love and value other things too much, you cannot love God too much. And so that's another good reason why we begin here. You cannot love God too much. When it comes to God, all temperance, all reserve, all restraint, you, you can just let that go. You can love God full throttle and not be in trouble. You can love Him heart, soul, strength, and mind. It's all good. But you cannot say that about any other love. We'll come back to that in a little while. And the third reason why I want to preach on this text today, on this first Sunday at this location, is because if we as a church can't pronounce what Jesus says is most important, then who's going to do it, right? I mean, if we as a church can't, can't pronounce and, and declare and underline what Jesus said is most important, no other group in society, no other business, no other organization is dedicated, no other institution is going to say, this is what's most important, world, loving God. That's supreme. And so if followers of Jesus Christ don't do it, who will? So those are the three good reasons why I think we're starting with this text today. And it's not difficult to know why Jesus understood the question uh, clearly, which is the most important commandment. He had been taught from Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is what's the most important. It's called the Shema, which means to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And everybody knew that. Even though there were over 600 different commandments in the Old Testament law, 
this one rose to the top and every Jew knew this is the most important commandment. And so Jesus simply quotes Moses and Moses gave Deuteronomy to Israel just on the brink of entering the promised land. The question was, what is going to be the identity of Israel when they get into this new land? What is going to set them apart from all other peoples in the land of Canaan? And the answer is, oh, that is the people that love God supreme. Okay, now you know how that worked out in Old Testament history, but that is the people that are set apart to love God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. And so in Mark chapter 12, we read about this scribe, this expert in the law that is coming to Jesus, and he had the right answer. The problem was that he was part of a group that was notorious for getting it wrong most of the time. And the way they got it wrong most of the time is because they had a lot of the right answers up in their heads, but they did not have it proper and right in their hearts and in their hands. And so, perhaps you've known some people like that, that they have a lot of religious talk, they have a lot of religious ideas and answers, but their lives don't reflect that. And so there was a problem, and the problem was they were stuck, stuck in their heads. They did not let God's law and word get into their hearts and into their hands and the way they lived their lives. The cranial and the cardio were not connected. And so there was a problem. Now it's not hard to understand the problem. The problem is because we love on the basis of the assigned value that we give something instead of the inherent value and worth of something. You know that there's two kinds of worth or value. There is what you assign to something as a value, and there is what's its inherent value you can take to the bank. For example, I have some tools from my father. They're hand tools, like an old hammer. There's a level that's uh, actually broken off, and even the glass is broken on one of the parts of the level. And I got for Christmas a few years ago, brand new, longer, clearer, better level, but I still use the old level. I've got these hand tools from my, from my father. In, in terms of inherent worth and value, they're probably not worth much money. But even if someone offered me $1,000, I don't think I'd want to part with those tools because I have assigned them the value because they're from my dad. But on the other hand, there's, there's other things that you could offer me that are of great value, but I would not esteem or value them. I would not give them an assigned value. You could, you could give me a brand new Harley Davidson motorcycle. You could give me a brand new I don't even know the mark anymore, but sewing machine. <laughs> I was going to say singer, but not likely anymore. You know, the, what, I, I, they have inherent value, but I don't place a sign value to them, and so therefore, I, I would not probably keep them. I don't ride, and I don't sew. You see, you do the same thing, don't you? You have assigned value to certain things that are not inherently of that value, and things that are of great inherent value, you do not value as you should, perhaps. Now, sometimes we get it right. If your house is on fire, 
and you've got just a few seconds to grab something that's of value, probably your inherent, the inherent value and the assigned value come together and you grab your spouse and you grab your kids and if you have time, you grab your pet. Maybe there's some important documents if you have time. See, all of a sudden it just comes together. On the brink of eternity, values change, someone said. And so, the dilemma then that I'm putting to you when we come to the question of loving God, because that's the most important command, love God, the, the dilemma that we face with is that we are a people that have a sign value, an inherent value, and now we are dealing with a being that is of supreme value. Okay. And you and I are broken vessels that toy in our hearts with other affections and other loves, and so we don't place supreme love on that which is supreme, God Himself. Jesus, who is of supreme and infinite worth, deserves to be loved supremely, but in our brokenness, we have assigned value to other things that displace God, that move Him aside because of the other affections of our hearts, our own egos, our insecurities, our loves, our comforts, and all these things have a way of displacing God from His throne. St. Augustine said it in his book called Confessions, which is a little bit hard to understand on first read, but he said, He loves too little who loves anything together with thee, which he loves not for thy sake. If we could bring that up on the slide. He loves too little. Maybe we're having trouble in transmission. He loves too little who loves anything together with thee, which He loves not for thy sake. In other words, God is supreme in love and all other loves are inferior and even the other loves of your life are really meant to be part and parcel of your love for God. That gets reflected in Scripture over and over again. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul is writing and he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So if you're going to be enjoying something material, things that money buys, don't set your hope on it, but see it as from God and for God. He's provided it for your enjoyment, but don't let the love of it eclipse God. Don't let it usurp His place. Don't love the gift more than you love the giver. When we sit down to eat before a meal, we have a habit of bowing our heads and praying and thanking God. Why do we do that? Well, we do that because, again, we're reminding ourselves in a, on a daily basis several times, we're reminding ourselves that, that, that this comes from a giver who is of much more supreme value than the gift that, that, that we're eating in that moment. We cannot let the love of anything take away from the love of God. Now I want to ask you to go with me on another little journey. On, I want to, to tell you what Jesus is not saying by inference because He did say that loving God with all our heart and soul 
and mind and strength is supreme. So what did he not say by inference? Well, first of all, for example, he did not say that loving this book with all our heart and soul and mind and strength is the most important thing in the world. He did not say love God's rules and laws and truth and Bible and word. Do not love that with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Now, am I heretic for saying that? Because the Bible says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation every day. Of course we're to love the Bible. Of course we're to love God's Word. Why though? Because well, it's from God who we love supremely. You see, the point is that love must be in proportion to the inherent worth of the object being loved. We can love ideas. We can fall in love with thoughts, theologies, systems of theology. We can be in love with doctrines and interpretations of the Bible. We can be in love with learning and Bible study and programs that read the Bible. We can be in love with all things concerning this book, and yet in the process, we can miss, miss love for the one who this book is all about. Jesus said it clearly to a group of religious leaders in His day. He said to them, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about Me, yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. You see, there were experts in the law, in the book, but they did not know the God of the book. And if you can be an expert in the book of God but not know the God of the book, you're lost. And so, don't hear me say today that doctrine and truth are not important. They are, but why? Because of the One who authored them. Another thing that Jesus is not saying by inference is that He did not say that the greatest thing in all the world is to love people with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Again, whoa, that's heresy. Well, wait for it. He did not say love people, including your own family members, with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Because again, if you're going to love people with that kind of love, God is then going to be usurped. Secondly, he said absolutely you love people. He said it right away. He said that's the second greatest command but it's not the first. Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. And by this, everyone's going to know that you're my disciples if you have one, love one for the other. That's very important, but it's second to loving God. And the only way of truly loving one another is actually to love God supremely. You will not be a good husband or wife or friend if you do not have God as your supreme love and then you can love properly. There's a danger in loving people more than God. There's a story in the early church about a woman who loved her husband more than she loved God. Do you remember her name? Her name is Sapphira. She loved, she loved her husband so much that she agreed with him on the lie that they presented to the apostles. She loved her husband more than she loved God and the truth of God and the ways of God. And so we must be careful. Someone said that our success in ministry is not going to be judged by how many people we have pleased. In fact, if God is pleased with us, it doesn't matter how many people are displeased 
And if God is not pleased, it doesn't matter how many people we please. <laughs> you see, because loving God has to be supreme. Jesus denounced in His day some of the people because He says they love the praise of men more than they love the praise that was from God. Jesus said as well in Matthew 10.37 words that are really hard to swallow. He said, whoever loves his father, his mother, his daughter, or son more than me is not worthy of me. That's hard to swallow. But again, it is only logical that if God is of supreme worth, we must assign Him supreme worth so that we then love others as they ought to be loved. Have you ever faced a, a, a situation in your life where you have not loved and pleased God because you are concerned about loving and pleasing somebody else? That's where it really rubs. That's where we need to be careful. Thirdly, by inference, it's true also that Jesus did not say that we are to love the gifts from God more than the giver, God Himself. He did not say that the most important commandment was to love what God blesses us with with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We cannot do it that way. This means intangible and tangible blessings from God. So let's talk about the intangible first of all. He did not say that we should love our forgiveness and our redemption, and our peace with God, and our eternal life, and even heaven itself. He did not say that we should love heaven itself with all our, our, our heart and soul and mind and strength. What? John Piper writes a book called God is the Gospel. And in that book, he poses a conflictive question that will never be asked except on a sermon once in a while. And that is, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? That takes us down into the testing grounds of whether we really do love Jesus with all our heart and soul and, and mind and strength. Could, could you be happy in heaven if Christ were not there? See, do we love what God gives us more than we love God? That's the question that it tests. And of course, we all come up failing, don't we? We all come up recognizing areas, affections in our hearts, loves within our being that, that, that compete with love for God. And of course, how could we not acknowledge the material things as well? Those things that compete. Those pastimes, those hobbies, those things that money buy, the things that, that we have comforts in our lives, do they not compete as well with our love for God? This building is a beautiful place. It's a gift of grace. We're humbled by it. We're, we feel unworthy to be able to come here and worship the Lord and minister through this building. But we did not just build it for us. We built it for many, many more people to come to know God in this community. And why, why did we do it just for them? Well, yes and no. We did it mostly, though, if you, if you follow it all the way back to its source, we did it because God is worthy to be known by more people. 
And God is worthy to be loved by more people who at the present time are, are loving other things which are, are of lesser value. And so we did it ultimately for the love of God. And so we want to keep that focus. We exist as a church to, to put the glory of God on display so that everybody sees Him and loves Him for who He is because of, of His inherent value and worth. And we want to keep love for Him first. Not church, not buildings, not religion, not theology, not programs. We want people to love God as King. And we want to emphasize His kingdom over our castle. Right? We want to emphasize His kingdom over our castle. He's the center. He's the source. And so we want to love God first and then put all other loves in their place under Him. Not the Scriptures, nor our churches, not any person, nor any blessing that God gives, not any of the benefits He showers on us in this life should take the place of love for God. We love because He first loved us. And I want to let this Scripture lead us to the Lord's table this morning as we get ready to partake of the Lord's Supper. It is, it is God's love that leads us to love Him back. He's always the initiator and we're always the responders, aren't we? And it is His love. And He loved us so much, it says that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet broken and not even pursuing Him, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's why we want to love Him. God said, I love you even though I know you don't love me as supreme. Even though I know you have not assigned to me the value that I deserve from you. I love you. And I'm going to send my Son because of your brokenness. I'm going to send my Son. And so it is His love that we celebrate, not ours. The table that we have before us, which is going to be served in a moment. This table does not say look at how much we are committed to the Lord. Look at how much we love God. The table that we have set before us does not say oh wow this people really loves God. No. The table that we've got set here is speaking and the word it's speaking is look how much God loves you. That's what this table is speaking. It's saying, look how much God loves this people who have so many competing affections in their hearts, and yet I still love them. Look how much God loves you. Do you know that God loves you? I don't care where you are in your journey with God, in that relationship. You might be miles away from Him hardly thinking He loves you. You might be very close and walking with Him for, for a long time. He loves you. He loves you. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to take your place on the cross because of that love. And that is a supreme love because it comes from the Supreme One who is love itself. He defines love. I want you to know, friends, visitors, everyone, the table that's here is not a Baptist table. It's, it's the table of the Lord. And... Uh, if you have trusted, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ for the love that you've received from God, if you're trusting in Him for salvation and the gift of forgiveness and eternal life because of 
the incredible grace of God. If you're, if you're able to say that today, then Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, walks among us today and serves you bread, which represents His body that hung on the cross. And He serves you cup, which represents the blood that He shed. And you don't need to have any other prescription except Jesus says, I'll take you if you'll come and say, I know I don't love you as I ought to, God. I know I'm a sinner that needs, I, I'm broken, but Lord, I know you're the divine healer. You're the physician that can fix me. So you can come if you believe that. And you know what? You can let this tray pass you by as well. And no one around you will judge you. If you are not a follower of Christ, you can let this tray pass you by. And if you're at a place where maybe you just have to fix things with, with a relationship and you don't feel right about taking this, that's okay too. We don't condemn you, neither does God, because it sounds like you're taking this seriously, and that's good. And so we read in the Scriptures that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread and He took cup, and He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And as the worship team comes, they're going to be leading us in worship, and we're going to be serving you. In a moment, the ushers will come and they'll start from the front and they'll work their way toward the back. You'll notice that in the tray are both bread and cup. And so when you take the tray, you need to pass it to the next person before your hands will be free to take the bread and the cup. So please do that and serve each other in this way. And let me pray for us before we partake of this meal. Lord Jesus, we give you praise for your infinite love toward us, sinners, broken vessels. Well, we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. We love because we love you, God, because you first loved us. Bless this bread and bless this cup. And as we partake of it, help us to think about the supreme act of love you gave at the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord God, I thank you for meeting us here today. It is our pleasure to sing truth of you and to you about who you are, about what you've done and what you mean to us. And Lord, I, we look at this love that you have lavished on us in so many ways and we give you thanks and we recognize that in this life you are helping us by your Holy Spirit to love you more. And I pray that you would keep on helping us to love you more. For your name's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you go from here. Have a great day.